Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Okay. Um, hope you all had a great Christmas. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm just looking forward to getting back to normal, to be honest. Um, so um, at the start of the new year, we are starting a new series called Jesus Said, and we're looking at a selection of Jesus' teachings from the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's just a great opportunity to remind us of who we follow, what we're encouraged to do, um, and just set ourselves towards um, all that Jesus has called us to in this new season. So today we are looking at Jesus Said, Love Others. And we'll be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is no surprise from the question earlier. And that's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Now, they are not on the slide. So um, if you have a Bible, you could turn there. Um, Otherwise, you can just close your eyes and listen to my dulcet tones, as long as you uh, promise to open them again later. Right. Um, So it says this. One day, an expert in, in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him for dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. Sorry, my phone has jumped. Technology is great when the screen isn't broken. Um, They stripped him, left him dead by the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man, it really doesn't want me to read this. Anyway, the priest walked on by. We know that, okay? He walked on by. A Levi came along, and he walked on by too. I'm being saved with a paper Bible. Here we go. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, and it's big print. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right so they uh, a priest happened to come down the road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side so too a levite or a worship leader when he came to the place saw him pass by on the other side but a samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and bandaged his wounds poured on oil and wine, and when he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you've had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, brilliant. So I know that you like a little bit of interaction here at the youth site. So um, you were chatting earlier about what do you know about the Good Samaritan or what 
What is the Good Samaritan? What do you think the moral lesson of the Good Samaritan is? Why don't we shout some ideas out? Yeah? Show compassion for others in practical ways. That's great. Don't turn a blind eye to other people's needs. Yeah, that's brilliant. Totally. Be willing to help other people, even your enemies. All right, last chance. Any other ideas? Excellent. So I've got quite a list. Love others. Love is not just a feeling. It requires action. The Samaritan didn't just go, oh, isn't that sad? And walk on by. Um, all of humanity is included in the definition of our neighbor. So no one should be excluded from your love especially not for political or racial reasons. And finally, yeah, love your enemies. So you could sum up the moral lesson from this parable as love others by extending costly, compassionate, practical help to all of humanity, whether you like them or not. Now, I think this is a pretty good principle. Um, I think most people in society would agree that this is probably the right way to live. But my question is, is this what Luke wanted us to get from the story? Is this the intention Jesus had in his interaction with the, with the expert in the law? Was he trying to get the lawyer to just be a bit less racist, to come up with a more inclusive interpretation of the Jewish law? Does whatever moral principle we come up with actually answer the lawyer's initial question? So the lawyer asked this, he asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what was the lawyer asking and why was he asking it? So he's actually asking the question which is at the heart of Jesus' ministry and at the heart of the, of the scriptures. Essentially, his question is, what must I do to be in right relationship with God? So why is he asking it? Is he a humble spirit, searcher for spiritual truth? Well, not really. And we see that in his behavior and also in the text. So it was traditional at the time, um, teachers would either stand or sit slightly raised above their pupils, and everyone else would sit on the ground at their feet as a sign of respect as they are sitting under their authority. But in this passage, it tells us that the lawyer or the legal expert stood up to ask Jesus his question. And in standing up, he's showing that he's challenging Jesus' authority. Luke also tells us that he asked the question to test Jesus or to trap Jesus. And in verse 29, it says he was looking to justify himself. So the lawyer wanted to trick Jesus into revealing something like being a heretic. He was hoping Jesus would say, oh, well... Don't worry about obeying all those commands and laws and be good and honest and all that stuff. Don't worry about that. Just trust in me and everything will be fine. And then the lawyer could stay standing and say, Oi, you, you are being dishon you are dishonoring the law of Moses. You dishonor the law of our fathers. Your teachings encourage sinful living and so forth. And he could reveal that Jesus' teachings weren't something to be followed. That's what he was trying to do. But Jesus asked the man, but Jesus had his own trap too. And he asked the man this, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
Now, I don't know if you've ever had a good teacher like this, like Jesus, probably not as good as Jesus, but anyway, the best teachers aren't the ones who tell you everything they know. Good teachers are the ones who teach you to think, who ask you questions, who test your thinking. Now, this sounds very snobbish now I say it, but I had a philosophy lecturer who was a little bit like this, um, and he would propose a theory, uh, ask us a question, and then we would come up with some kind of idea to try and challenge him, and then he'd just ask a very simple question that would clearly demonstrate how ridiculous our idea was, and, and then we'd try again and try again, and he'd kind of work us into an intellectual corner until ultimately our only option out of it was the truth. Well, Jesus is a good teacher, and throughout the Gospels, you see him do this to people. Maybe, and maybe some of you, and I don't know about you, but he's done this to me too. Maybe some of you feel a bit stuck here. Maybe you've got questions about life or difficulties that you're just struggling with, and you're not sure what the answer is. You feel a bit hemmed in, a bit stuck in the corner. But that's the way a great teacher works sometimes. A good teacher puts us in this position until finally we find the truth. You discover that Jesus only traps you to get you to turn to him. It's ultimately a trap of love. And that's what he's doing to this lawyer with these questions. How do you read the law? Now, the only way to answer this question would be to either read all of the Torah right there and then, or recite it, because he probably did know it by memory for about five or six hours, or it would be to summarize it. Now, often when you summarize something, when you boil it down to its essence, you reveal something of its core nature. And the lawyer does this. He summarizes it with um, what was actually a kind of traditional summary. It wasn't completely original to Jesus, um, and he summarizes it with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus very simply replies, you have answered correctly. So much to the disappointment of the lawyer, Jesus doesn't actually dismiss the Old Testament laws at all. He elevates them by just saying, your summary is right, Jesus is actually saying, yes, love, perfect love, is at the heart of the law. If you want to justify yourself and be in right relationship with God because of what you do, then you need to keep the law perfectly. You need to live a life of perfect love. Now, Jesus does this in his teachings all the time at least to a Jewish audience. In the Sermon on Mount, he says, the law says, if you do not commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at someone with lust. The law says, don't murder, but I say, if you even hate someone, then you're guilty. Now, what is Jesus trying to do with this? Is he just trying to raise the bar because he doesn't think we work hard enough? What is he doing in these moments? I think Jesus is trying to express, expose something, to reveal our deepest need for help, to corner us, to force us to face the truth that ultimately we need him. And this is where Jesus is trying to get the lawyer. With both his questions and ultimately with this parable, 
He wants to expose the foundations of the lawyer's self-reliance. And Jesus wants to do this to us. That in many ways is the difficulty of being a disciple of Jesus because he is constantly renovating our hearts, tearing up the floor and digging up the foundations of our self-reliance. For this lawyer, it was religious obedience. It's probably something else for you. It might be your intellect or your productivity, your savings or how much people like you, or maybe something else. But what is it for you? What is it in your life at the moment that holds you back from completely relying on Jesus? The only way to be in right relationship with God is to stop trying and humbly collapse into Jesus' open arms of grace. In a strange, typically Jesus way, you could deduce the principle from this story as you can't be in right relationship with God until you realize there isn't anything you can do to be in right relationship with God. Now, the lawyer may be realizing this, wants to still be able to justify himself through his actions. He wants to justify his worldview and his behavior. And he asks, but who is my neighbor? He wants Jesus to give him something a little bit more manageable than love everyone, everywhere, all the time. Limit this for me. Give me something I can do, something I can still achieve. I mean, you could break down the Old Testament rules into something like a list of 600 or 700 individual small rules, and you could maybe go through and tick them off and feel like, hey, I'm doing all right. I haven't got them all, but, you know, maybe 60%. But when you're confronted with the essence of the law as perfect love, you know you fall short. So if we walk away from today, from this parable of Jesus, with just a new rule, love others by extending costly, compassionate, practical help to all of humanity, whether you like them or not, how does that help us? Now, I would say most of my friends who don't follow Jesus, who have rejected Christianity, would agree with that moral statement. That is how we're meant to live. And many of them are trying pretty hard. They're vegans, they're plastic-free, they are avid recyclers, they grow their own food, and they give generously to charity. They advocate for refugees and the marginalized. And at times, I find them quite a challenge, if I'm honest. And not, not, not because of those th the giggles, but as, as it, they put me to shame sometimes with the effort that they put in. But also, many of my friends aren't trying so hard. But they certainly feel like they should be. They feel the moral pressure. They feel guilty. And that is what you get if you divorce the high moral standards of Jesus from the life and ministry of Jesus. If you have the high expectations of Jesus without grace and forgiveness, if you have Jesus as a moral teacher, but not as your savior. At the extremes of this, you end up either as proud, judgmental, and arrogant because you feel like you're doing better than everyone else, or you end up discouraged, guilty, and depressed because you are so aware of your inadequacy and failure. You'll be pleased to hear that neither self-reliance nor despair is where Jesus wants you. What he wants 
is for our actions to be motivated and empowered by our experience of his love for us. Because if we push too hard on the, you don't have to do anything, just be in right relationship with God, we end up with an individualistic spirituality that has no need for community and no need for loving action. Well, we end up with a faith that looks something like someone sitting, praying on top of a mountain um, in right relationship with God, but benefiting absolutely no one. And ultimately, that kind of detached individualistic spirituality is just selfish. But equally, if you are just doing loving things all the time for everyone, working really hard to earn holy points to get into God's good books, then that's selfish too. So does Jesus want us to recognize that we can't actually love people the way we should? That we can't actually do anything to get into right relationship with God? But rather we need to throw ourselves on him, rely on God fully. Yes, that's what he wants. But does he also want us to love others in costly, practical ways? Yes. So how do we reconcile these two things? Well, I think we reconcile them in an experience of Jesus as our good Samaritan. The Bible tells us that before we put our trust in Jesus, we're actually his enemies. That Jesus found us as spiritually dead and rescued us. He poured the healing oil of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and brought us back to life. He purchased our healing and restoration at great cost to himself, his very life. And he has placed us in a loving community to care for us, the church, the family of God, until he comes back. For those who know this kind of love, who have experienced its power, who have chosen to build their lives on its foundation, practical, costly, compassionate love for others is the natural overflow. Now, that's not to say it's easy or it doesn't require effort. It's easy to grow weary of doing good. But there is a certain power and sustainability that comes from our actions flowing from a revelation of God's love for us and not out of a need to demonstrate our own goodness. So in closing, to circle back to the challenge of the story of the Good Samaritan, and in somewhat line with what Joe felt like God was saying, is that we, may not, we might not have an obvious enemy. There might not be people that we exclude from our compassion. But are there people that you exclude from God's love? Maybe it's because you feel like, actually, they're pretty good already. Do they really need it? Or maybe it's because you feel like they're too far. They've done too much or they'd never be interested. Do you exclude yourself sometimes? Well, as Joe said, the invitation of what we see from the story of the Good Samaritan and the teaching and life of Jesus is that no one is excluded from the love of God. Brilliant. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to respond. So, Father God, I just thank you so much that you love us, each one of us. 
that you sent Jesus to reveal your love. To be a good Samaritan to each one of us. I pray, would you send your Holy Spirit now and give us all a fresh revelation of your love that would send us out into the world in compassion for others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.